Welcome to Self-Compassionate Professor, a career wellness podcast for mid-career and recovering academics who want more. More meaning, balance, rest, joy, and more clarity. Our motto here is no regrets. So glad you're here. Hello. How's it going? (laughs) This is episode 77 and I am Danielle Delamar. Thank you so much for joining today. And I think I've forgotten to even say my name last episode. So, you know, I thought it's probably a good idea to fit that in today. How are you all? Anything fun? Anything interesting? The weather today is pretty comfortable here in Denver, so that's kind of awesome. I just went for a walk. It was cool. It was a little breezy. And I also just listened to this interview I did with Dr. Kemi Dole, who struck me as just so incredibly strong and unshakable in her understanding and clarity of her purpose. And honestly, in this interview, she just cuts through all the crap and she really gets down to business and gives you a really clear sense about what needs to be done, about what work you need to do if you want to stay in academia and thrive. She's talking specifically to issues facing women of color in academic medicine. And while her message is specific to a particular population in academia, as well as to a particular area of academia, her message is just so applicable to so many others. Um, Kemi really outlines what needs to be done, what work needs to be accomplished so that you can stay in academia and thrive, so that you can stay in academia and really enjoy your career and really feel like you're contributing in meaningful ways and really feel like you have a purpose. In my mind, one of the most powerful pieces of this interview is when Kemi talks about how to use institutional expectations as a means to fulfill your own purpose that is led by you. And that's how you put your gift into the world. And honestly, this is just one thing I'm holding on to after this interview. There are so many nuggets of wisdom that she just unpacks with this sort of clarity and expertise and laser focus. And I just know if you're struggling with your academic job right now in one way or another, this interview is going to give you some absolutely excellent advice about how to move forward. It is my pleasure to introduce you to Dr. Kemi Dole now. Thank you so much for joining our conversation today. I'm talking to Dr. Kemi Dole, Associate Professor of Gynecologic Oncology and Coach for Women of Color Faculty in Academic Medicine. Uh, Kemi also has a podcast called Your Unapologetic Career. Kemi, thank you so, so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Danielle. Oh, my pleasure. So we were just talking um, before the recording about something you had said in the uh, podcast notes that, that you sort of write up before we actually do the interview. And you had said that settling 
is burnout in slow motion. <laughs> and that hit me really hard. One, <laughs> because of my own experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but two, we've been talking about burnout in the podcast for, um, you know, a few episodes recently. Mm-hmm. And we've never talked about it in quite this way. <laughs> so can you just give me a sense of what that means to you? Settling is burnout in slow motion. Mm, yes, I can. Um, so I think that came from the fact that um, in a lot of ways, the conversation that I had been exposed to around burnout was kind of around like, you're doing too much, you're doing too much, and kind of something has to give. And I think that um, for my experience and when I was looking around at my colleagues in academic medicine, juggling clinical care and research interests and teaching and all the things, right? We're always juggling all the things. Um, One of the just really, I don't know, ever present narratives was basically like, you know, at some point you realize like, you can't do all this. This is not sustainable. And you have to cut things out. You have to cut back. Um, And I understand where that comes from. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of times what happens is that people cut back and cut out the things that they care the most about. Mm. And they they settle for a career that's much less than they imagined. So, I mean, academic medicine, probably like all other academia, is such a deliberate choice. It's like after all of the years of training, after all of the, you know, 80, 100 hour work weeks and like basically giving up your entire 20s and sometimes halfway through your 30s to training and to um, having basically no control over your career. Um, We don't even have control over where we train. I mean, you know, we train, it's like a match process. So you just, Mm. you've gone through such a long period of time of training and all of that, um, you know, while not making a lot of money, and then you you finish. And so the people who finish and then choose, I want to be in academics. I want to deliberately make significantly less amount of money that I can make other places. I want to deliberately have all these other things on my plate to do. I want to teach. I want to contribute. It's such a specific choice. Um, and so what I think happens, unfortunately, is that because a lot of times we're lacking the tools of how to actually be a faculty member and how to manage and grow and develop um, in that role that's no longer in a trainee um, kind of mindset, um, the very quick and dirty way to try to make it sustainable is just to cut things out and to settle. And so people Mm. are like, oh, I guess this dream career I thought of isn't really possible. Like, oh, Mm. never mind. And so they settle into something that is really not what they wanted. It's it's really not um, feeding, you know, their their ultimate passions of why they felt so compelled to contribute beyond one on one clinical care. And so. I think that, yeah, that is definitely burnout in slow motion because a lot of burnout is losing connection to the meaning of your work. A lot of burnout Mm -hmm. is, you know, that kind of that emotional kind of numbness. And I think it's true that we talk about it a lot in terms of just being overworked. And that's certainly true. Um, And if, if you've cut out the main meaning of your work, if you've decided that what you did all of this for isn't really possible, you are also burning out slowly you are also losing meaning. And then, you know, what's worse, of course, is that 
as you know from academia, is like, there's always too much. There's always more things coming on. So now we've cut out the things that matter most to you. And we've, you're continually adding this and this committee and that responsibility and that. So it's like, it's just such a recipe um, to me for um, exit or ultimately just kind of, um, I don't know, settling into this kind of like non-growth steady state um, that again is just basically leads to burnout. So that was a longer answer, but that's where that comes from. I love it. So can you talk a little bit about how that connects to your own experience? Um, did you go through this mm. yourself? No, but I, but I felt the pressure is what I'll say. So, um, my experience was, okay, I really knew, I really had a clear idea coming out of my research and clinical training of what kind of faculty job I wanted, like kind of what kind of career I wanted to create. And even that process of going through training was a lot of people saying, you know, well, I don't, you really can't really do this. Or I don't really know if this is possible, or this isn't really interesting. So I feel like I'd already had this practice with, um, you know, kind of being given the advice of like, you need to do it the way everybody else did it because nobody's ever done it differently. So it must not be possible to do it differently, which is like my pet peeve. <laughs> like it just drives me mm -hmm. crazy. So I had had that experience. And so I do think because I had already had that experience and I came out and said, you know, I was able to do clinical training. I was able to get the research training I wanted. I was, you know, able to secure grants. Like I was able to get some, some prelim research done. Like this is possible. I came into the faculty job search with that same idea of like, this is exactly what I want to do. And so a lot of places were like, no, but the places that were interested, it just helped narrow things down very quickly. Um, so I kind of came in that way. But what my experience was once I started was I was so surprised by the narrative. So I was so surprised by crossing over from finishing training and moving into the faculty position, how quickly the narrative shifts from like, you know how we're like, you can do anything, work really hard, you'll be great, to like, listen, <laughs> this is how you're going to survive this place. You know what I mean? Like, you're going to have to do this, you're going to have to, like, this is really nice, it's really exciting, but maybe what you need to do really is be on this committee or do this kind of research first before you can really do what you want. Like, the amount of you have to do this until you can really do what you want is like, it's just in the water everywhere. So mm -hmm. one, I was getting those messages and was just so surprised. Um, and then I think also I, you know, as a junior faculty member looking out at mid and senior career people who had all taken that path and who, frankly, to me, I'm like, all of you are burned out. Like mm -hmm. all of you are so disconnected from your original passion. Like there's so much bitterness. There's so much apathy. Um, and I don't, this maybe sounds negative. I don't mean it to, but there's just, I think settling was the word that I really wanted to capture because that's what it felt like. It felt like, well, you know, like we got to be grateful for what we got. You know, you just kind of yeah. settle for what you get. And it was, I was like, this is not like, this is not in any way inspirational to me. And also mm -hmm. this is not worth it. Like this is a hard career. It's hard to manage all the, all of the risk and the rejection. And it's hard to manage that. And I think that people do their best work and I think people actually manage it well when they are building something they believe in. Mm. And um, 
that was my experience. And so I don't know, I feel like I could keep talking about this, but that's really where it came from. It I, it wasn't me settling, but it was the pressure that I felt. And then looking around and seeing, I felt like the consequences of this kind of narrative. My question for you is, how did it feel okay to you to be like, no, I'm not going to listen to them. Um, hmm. I'm going to really do it my way. It did not feel okay. <laughs> terrifying and oh my gosh I don't know I just the Uh personal journey lots of therapy it didn't feel okay um I would say I think it was kind of like a gym honestly it's like every time there was pushback like so my my area of research is endometrial cancer and I remember when I first started that I got I was told you know after a really after a long time of collecting data and like doing this like really intensive, difficult project at the state level. And, you know, ultimately I had all my results. And I remember one of my, one of the people who mentored and gave me advice basically said, yeah, you know, this is great, but you know, you, the, there's not enough here. Like you should just add other cancers. You should just expand. Mm. I just remember thinking like the whole reason I want to focus here is because nobody focuses here. Like this is, this is such a problem. If I expand that defeats the whole purpose, then endometrial cancer just once again becomes something on the list that nobody pays attention to. So Mm. it's like that, that would have been, that was like an example of a moment of like, listen, like I know you care about this, but everybody doesn't. So you need to just go with what everybody cares about. You know, like you just, it's kind of, so in that moment, to ask you like, what was it like? I remember feeling, I don't know, vulnerable. I remember feeling frustrated. I remember feeling like this might not work out and maybe what I really want to do isn't possible. But also what I remember feeling is like, I want to prove that it's not possible. (laughs) Like, like you're not going to be because a conversation and somebody said it's not possible. It's going to be because I went all out. I did everything I could. I thought I was creative about it. I like did my best to put my perspective out there. And then I found out that it wasn't possible. And so I think that is how, that's how it had felt. Like that's how it felt going all the way through. And frankly, how it still feels now and like, the phase of the career I'm in now where I take it, it's like, I take it as information, but um, I take it as information to understand what the challenge is, I think is what I would say. And then I say, all right, maybe this is or is not possible. Who knows? But okay. I, I'm going to go down swinging, <laughs> like, you know, like I'm going to, I want to make sure that I've proven to myself that it also isn't. And that, that approach, um, is not easy and takes, you know, some good allies and takes, I don't know. I feel like I said this before, but I'm just going to say it again. I mean, good therapy, um, but also just a real clarity that I was willing, I'm just willing to try and fail, like uh, to know that I really gave it my all because I care so much about the work. Mm, mm, okay. And so I guess I have two questions. The first is, how did you navigate that conversation the first time you had it with your mentor? Who was like, you know, you need to just expand your research. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Okay. So I kept, okay. So I have to give a little bit of background, which is that, um, again, as an MD, I went through medical school and the, and the, the third, the third year of medical school where you're in is like where you go into the hospital and you do these, you do all your clinical clerkships 
and rotations. And the thing about them is that, you know, they're anywhere from like maybe four weeks to eight weeks long. And basically your, your entire job as a student in order to get honors and in order to get good grades is to like be dropped into neurology or obstetrics or emergency medicine and basically just become like them immediately, right? So mm. they're evaluating you on, do we think you're a good student? But what that really means is that that's different in every single specialty. So the way that you do well is that you learn very quickly how to emulate people around you. You learn very quickly, like, what are the rules of this place? What do you all call success? You know, like in some places, success is writing a three-page note. And in some places, they're like, oh my God, you're never going to succeed. Where's your efficiency? So you have to, you learn those things really quickly and then you execute them really quickly. And then that's how you essentially shine and do well. So I just want to give that feedback because the thing about medical school, especially if you went through it and you did well, I did very well in medical school. It turns that I was very good at that, um, is that I, I was, I'm very, I was very attuned to like what I need to do in the moment <laughs> to be mm -hmm. able to move through this moment well without conflict. So what, how I, I remember managing that saying as in like, okay, yeah, no, I understand. I mean, I think I said something like, mm -hmm, yeah, I understand. And, and then I just, I, I think I offered something to explain why I understood. Like, yeah, because, you know, if I had more numbers, it would be easier, you know, to reach statistical significance because of X and this, this and that. And then I maybe said something like, you know, but I really care about endometrial cancer and this, this and that. And then I didn't take the advice. What I did was recognize that like we, that my job wasn't actually to convince him. I'm like, oh, I don't need to actually like, if that's your belief, that's how you feel about this. Like my job is not to convince you, but it's to understand that that is a perspective people have. So when I go back and write about this, I'm going to hit that from the top. So like, that's when I started, I started starting so many, I would start papers. I would start presentations with endometrial cancer is four times more common than cervix cancer. Mm. I'm be like, Wait, what? Because that's what they know. So like I took, it's like, I took it as, as information and used it in order to keep going with what I wanted to do, as opposed to using the barrier as like a reason to quit. Got it. Got it. Okay. And so, and this continues to be the case. This is still your focus. You have not oh, like, yeah. tried to expand and please everyone. No, no, no. I research, I research racial inequity, specifically black women and endometrial cancer in the United States. And all of my work is designed around eliminating the profound uh, mortality gap that's existed for the past over 50 years. Okay. Okay. And so is, is this the work you're doing on your podcast and in your one-to-one -one coaching, like helping people to embrace what they care about and just sort of, well, oh, I guess the name of your podcast is your unapologetic <laughs> career. Is that what you're doing? <laughs> Um, yes. And I mean, so yes, I think we, we start there because that ultimately this, okay. So this is the thing. Ultimately, this is the root of so many of the other problems. So people are like, oh, I have productivity problems. You know, I'm not efficient enough. You know, I have too much on my plate, but ultimately all of it comes back to like how they're making decisions. And mm -hmm. if they have abdicated belief in creating the career that they actually showed up to do, 
then they have no compass in which to make direct decisions. So it's just total chaos because it's like, whose rules are you following? It's like, is it this mentors or your institution or what this person thinks? And so they're just like, there's just wild, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's like the opposite of things that are streamlined. Anyway, um, there's just wild conflicting, like conflicting decisions and things that don't make sense. And it just creates a feeling of chaos. So to answer your question, yes, like, my podcast and my coaching, where we begin and where I tell people we have to begin is like, what is the career you are trying to create? What is the work that you're trying to do in the world? Strip mm-hmm. away the like language, strip away all of the fanciness, whatever. Like, why are you here? Like, why would you choose this crazy life? And so mm-hmm. then we're going to start there with the, what that work means to you and what it is. And then from there, we build out how you make decisions. And then, you know, we do a lot around, um, you know, structures and and productivity skills and decision-making skills and all of that. But it definitely starts from that place. In the show notes, um, you had said something like, I, the most meaningful accomplishment I've had to date is bringing my whole self to my career and designing it in a way that works for me. Yeah. And so um, obviously you've been able to do this um, and you're able to help others do it. But um, where do you, I guess, get hung up along mm-hmm. the way? Cause I know it's never over. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> no, I don't want it to seem like it's easy. Um. So I think like getting, I think the getting hung up part is sometimes I just get tired. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm just like, like, I just get tired. I just get tired of having to advocate or get tired of having to like explain like, yes, we can do it this way. You know, those kinds of things. Um, So that can, that just can be annoying after a while. Um, And I think the other thing is that because I've taken this position and and I encourage everybody to, because I think that's literally how we're going to change the world. I mean, I think we we have to, to like move with the things that are put in our hearts to do in the world. Um, It also means like at kind of another level, you're really betting on yourself. Mm. And the thing about at least academic medicine, institutional culture, and I would suppose others is that there's a real emphasis on like the institution gives you your value, like the institution you like, you can rest on the institution, like, Oh, well, if you're here, then, you know, you have made it, you know, um, at least in medical training, it's very much like that. It's like, go to the right program so that you can be stamped with our approval. Um, And I think that continues into our academic faculty positions. And so I understand how powerful the pressure is of we do it this way, so do it this way. Because again, we are the ones giving you that that validity and that value. But when you decide to say like, this is great to be here. I am here to do something else. Like this is a tool. Mm. This is a platform Mm. for me to do this work. You are also in a very um, clear way betting on you. And that is, that's not like for the faint hearted, like that's not easy work. It's doable, but um, it requires so much more, you know, self-awareness. It requires a commitment, I think, to personal growth and development. Um, It requires in kind of an internal discipline where you know, your own metrics and your deadlines and your standards are, are the most important, you know, mm-hmm. and not just like 
the externally imposed ones. So I guess I wouldn't say hung up, but I would say like, that's a lot, that's where my energy goes. And that's where I really respect, like, I have to really take care of myself. I have to, Mm -hmm. I have to really carve out that time to listen to myself. I have to be willing to be courageous and like be uncomfortable and, and all of those things and advocate where I think it's important because I am my compass. So my Mm. compass has to be clear, right? And it has Mm. to be pointing toward my true north. And there's like all that maintenance that needs Mm. to go into keeping it so, which is Mm. another thing that we, you know, that's kind of like, I think a theme in my coaching is like, okay, now that we've established that it's you, you're bringing the value, (laughs) you know, how do we make sure you're optimized, right? Because it's not this place, it's you that's actually creating all of this wonderfulness in the world. Mm. Okay, so... Um, I'm struck by the compass has to be clear and all the Mm. work you have to do to keep it clear. And I'm also struck by what you said a few minutes ago about, um, you know, we need to move with the stuff we want to do because that's how we're going to change the world. And I don't know. I just, I have a sense there's something in there that I want you to say more about. Is there anything (laughs) else you would say? I don't know what the question is though. Hmm. I mean, this is so funny because I mean, how much time do you have? <laughs> we can like, if you're asking me to say, like, I mean, I do have, I have a weekly podcast for a reason. <laughs> I can chat. My primary coaching is actually group coaching. And this is part of the reason, um, cause I started out one-on-one and which was wonderful, um, and got a lot of wonderful experience. Um, and then I, I kind of just like randomly was like, you know what, do y'all want to do just like a group thing together and just like see what happens? Mm-hmm. And they, they said yes. And it was like explosion, you know, it was just like, and I, I realized, oh my gosh, why have I been holding this back from them? And I've been moving more and more to that format because there is so much power in being seen and and seeing yourself in somebody else and realizing, oh, I feel like the fish out of water where I am, but here we are all, all fish out of water. And we're only fish out of water because we like believe in our work, don't want to compromise, don't want to settle and want to have like nourished and balanced lives. That mm. is reasonable. Like that mm. does not make you naive or like, you know, and it's just, I... I just want people to know that because I, I I wonder if how I've been talking makes it sound very lonely, um, but it doesn't have to be at all. Um, okay, so that's that's something more I would say about it. I think the other thing I would say about changing the world is, you know, Danielle, I think it's like academics, is, it's just so funny. Like the whole point is that we pay people to think of ideas. Like we pay them to create things that don't already exist, whether they're ideas, right? Whether it's advancing science, whether it's educating and like creating new ways to educate, like, you know, innovating as the culture changes, as young people change, all of it at the root of it is creativity, right? Like that's the whole point. Mm -hmm. And I can't, it just, it's so amazing to me that all of the structures are set up in the opposite direction. <laughs> like mm-hmm. don't, don't propose something too wild in a grant. It won't be feasible. Don't, um, you know, don't expect that you could have a different kind of clinical schedule or a different kind of, um, or just even like a different blueprint for how you run your weeks or anything, because that's not the way we do it. Like there's just so much built in that's asking people to conform and this is what you do and this is the path and this is how it goes. Um, And so 
I think why I say it changes the world is that, you know, it is still a structure that is designed for new ideas. It's still a structure that's designed to change thought and, and in academic medicine, a lot of times change practice, change what we do. And um, because I focus on women of color as well, like our ideas are the things that come from our experiences are really, really, really underrepresented in the world. Like not just mm-hmm. our numbers, but literally our ideas, like how mm-hmm. we think problems can be solved. And that is a that is part of why we're we're in this mess that we're in. Like this is like writ large in the world. And so I think the more and more I can support those kind these kinds of perspectives that aren't being heard, the more I can lend whatever I can to support them in doing the work and in manifesting the things that they want to see really created and doing the science and trying the hypotheses and getting all of that out there, the more we will actually find solutions to these quote unquote intractable problems that we have. Mm. Okay. I feel like that's like very soapboxy. I'm done. (laughs) I love it though. Um, And um, I guess what I want to know is that this, this, Thing that you care so much about and this sort of changing the world and um, and making sure ideas come out that are, have been historically discounted and like all the stuff that you care about, how does it come up um, in your uh, job as an associate professor? Because I, I can see how it comes out in your coaching work, but I'm wondering, mm. you know, how it emerges elsewhere. Yeah. Ooh, that's a great question. Um, okay. So one thing in terms of my, and so in terms of my job, um, I mean, I think my clinic, my clinical care is just so, it's just so one-on-one, like it's so in the moment. Like I'm just, I'm at, I'm kind of at the service of who's in front of me. Um, and I feel like that is, that is a hundred percent what I'm supposed to be doing in those roles. In terms of my research work, um, my research, I'm a health services researcher, so I study health systems, and um, I do so with community partnerships, so I do a lot of work in community engagement. Um, and so it's a it's a similar theme of, um, you know, not researching on a community, but researching with a community. So I think it comes out there in, in my actions and trying to demonstrate to them as much as possible you know, like we know, I cannot do this alone. Like I don't have all the answers. Um, I actually have, I have not had endometrial cancer, so I know I don't have all the answers. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think that just that theme of everybody has something valuable to contribute. And I think depending on your position and depending on our positions, we have a differing level of responsibility of supporting and creating structures so that their ideas can come forth. So I think in like, in my research life, Um, part of what I consider just like the work of research is making sure that those structures exist, like making sure that we have community partners, making sure they're compensated Mm. for their time, making sure we're really listening, making sure that we're moving at a pace so everybody's ideas can be incorporated, like rejecting the pace of academia, you know, and like, Mm. and honestly, for me, it's like 100% embracing the challenge of the tension between I need to get grants and I need to have funding and um, we need to be moving at the speed of trust, like Adrian Marie Brown says, and we need to be being attentive and we need to make sure that everybody's being heard and all like that to me. I am so much more interested, Danielle, in that challenge. I'm so much more interested in that than I am interested in 
I don't know, like um, the challenge of trying to serve on all the committees and be whatever the triple threat, like whatever the gold star per, like I'm so much more <laughs> interested in that challenge than I am in like the things that are laid out in academia as like, these are the hoops that we want you to jump through and prove that you are worthy. Mm. Um, and I'll say what's funny is that I think what, and what I coach my clients on and what I've been able to show them is that you actually can, you, you can hit all those gold stars mm. with sanity in a mm. different way. And it's so much better because they're just tools instead of your ultimate goal. And I really like that puzzle, right? Of like, hmm, how can I use this to serve my work? Um, knowing that, yes, I need this. This is important for my career, but, but it's a tool for me. I just heard you say, uh, I guess a few times in this conversation was you've talked about being in the moment and I'm thinking about like what you said about being very, uh, very attuned to the moment when you were in medical school and, mm. um, and then also sort of you're even now you're in the moment with what's in front of you. And then I'm also thinking about how you're like, you know, there's this conflict in my work and I have to embrace that conflict. And so mm -hmm. that sort of moment theme runs through this conversation a lot. And mm -hmm. I'm, uh, I guess I'm wondering what does it mean to sort of embrace and be in the moment um, to you? Um, what does it look like in a moment, in any given moment, whatever work you're doing? <laughs> okay, this is so funny because what what is coming up for me is like it's almost the opposite answer, which is like make decisions ahead of time <laughs> so that you can be in the moment. Like I feel like I don't know, like there's always mindset stuff with coaching. There's always that, but like so much of it, once we're get clear on what you want, is like okay, like set yourself up for success so that you get to be in the moment. Mm. So like for me, it's like, oh, I feel like I can be in the moment because, you know, I decided what my week looks like from the beginning. I've, I already know what my priorities are for this month, yeah. for example. Like it's, that's, it's, I don't, I'm not having to think about that every day. I um, love it. So because that's the case, so being in the moment means when I get an email that's about something this month, like I can just automatically use my intuition of whether I want to say yes or no, because I'm filtering it through my priorities and I don't have to second guess myself. So it's mm. just like, oh, right. Cause August I'm doing this. Oh, right. Okay. That doesn't fit. This doesn't really feel that great either. No, you know, mm -hmm. or, um, mm -hmm. oh, this doesn't fit, but I can feel myself. I'm super excited. I would love to make time for this another time. So then it's just so obvious. My answer is definitely not right now. Let's do February. It's open. So it's like, to me, being able to be in the moment, it's not about actually being in the moment. It's about like being connected with yourself in the moment. Because a lot of times what happens is people are only in the moment and all they are ever doing in the moment is reacting to everybody else's, what everybody else wants, to the urgency of the moment, you know, to urgency, to the pressure, to the, you know, the, gra the obligatory gratitude is what I talk about. Like this, it's like this never ending, you know, way we have to continue to, to demonstrate appreciation for our jobs by, by giving of ourselves. Um, so like I, yeah. So being in the moment to me is having created a foundation and some structure and some organization for myself ahead of time so that I can be free to be in the moment and be connected with the work I want to do and not second guess myself. Wow. That's good. 
Okay, so what would you say to um, end this conversation and make it feel complete to you in your in your mind? Ooh, I've been so in the moment, Danielle. <laughs> what are we talking about? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, in the same way that we were talking about earlier, like kind of embracing the challenge. Um, you pulled that out, and I think I do think that's a theme that I have. Um, like even with grants and stuff, right? I'm like, instead of all of us complaining about how how frustrating it is and hard it is to apply for grants, let's just embrace the challenge that we've chosen to do this thing where you like write six pages and somebody gives you millions of dollars. Like mm. this is what we've chosen to do. So let's go for it. So in that same way, I feel like writ large, like academia is a current challenge I am embracing. Wow. So- where I understand this place was not built for me. I understand that like that there's so much racism and sexism and misogyny and xenophobia. Um, like the patriarchy is real. Like I understand all of those things. And I'm in a place where I embrace that challenge because I am like, it is interesting to me to do my work anyway. Um, and, and what I find in that, what I find in being able to do that, which includes my work of this coaching, which like you mentioned earlier was completely not the plan. Like that would, that was an example. This whole thing is an example of embracing that challenge of saying like, oh, okay, well then what else can I do to know that I'm contributing, to know that I'm helping in the way that I would want to, oh, I'm going to be crazy and, and start a coaching business. Like, mm-hmm. um, and so that's my that's my position, and it's an inspiring one for me because my work means so much to me, and because mm-hmm. I'm I'm so excited to do it, and I do feel that you know until that changes, I'm in. Mm. So I, that brings up one more question um, okay. before I get to the end here, and. I remember when I emailed you early on uh, when we first started talking and I said, you know, would you be willing to be on my podcast? And you had said, yeah, but I, I, yes, I would, but I want to be really clear. My focus is to keep people in academia. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was like, um, a lot of people on your show were talking about how wonderful it was when they left. <laughs> Are you sure I'm the right guest? <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So that's the thing, right? Like, it's true. Like, I find a lot of people uh, to guest on the podcast who are willing to talk about how they were able to pave self-compassionate careers outside of academia. Yeah. I find some, very few, but I find some who are able to do it within academia. And um, I don't know. I just wonder if you might be able to speak to that a little bit, like Mm -hmm. why am I able to find people all the time to talk about the getting out? Mm -hmm. Um, And the, the people who stay in are few and far between. I have a really hard time finding them. Mm. Because of, well, I mean, I think because we don't, there's, there's so little support for staying Mm -hmm. in. I mean, there's so little, there are so few places you can turn to that help you have a self-compassionate career in academia. Like Mm -hmm. most of the place, like a lot of when people, a lot of times when people are like, I can't do this, it's not sustainable. It's, this is the end. Their options are literally, you know, a few places that can help you organize your time and your productivity and a whole bunch of places that can tell you, show you how to leave. 
So it makes sense that people are like, great, I'm leaving. Like, and again, there's nothing wrong with this, but it makes sense to me because that is what is available. And that is what the stories of redemption look like right now is like, I left and I, I celebrate, especially as a black woman in academia, I celebrate anytime somebody's on Twitter, like I want to announce that I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm leaving. I'm like the first person, like congratulations, because I know that they are reclaiming something that is critical to them. And that is like, I want them to do that and go do their work in the world. And I want people who are in, who, who still feel like I don't want to go. I just want to be able to be Mm. fulfilled here. Like I'm not Mm. trying to leave. I'm a nerd. I like it here. Like Mm. things are like, Mm -hmm. I chose this on purpose. I want them to know there are other options too. And I understand that there's so few, there's like not a lot of resources out there, which is why I said, oh my gosh, I guess I'm just going to create one. Like, you know, it, it went back to that. Like, well, Kemi, go create what's not out there. Like, stop complaining about it. But um, I think that that is why you don't see as many um, people because it's, yeah, I just think that there's not, there's not as much support and like solutions available in that, in that, in that world. And I applaud people who can say, something has to change and make sure that they change something. And right now, a lot of times that option is like, I'm going to leave. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas, well, my position (laughs) and everything I do right now is that you can have a radically different experience of your career, radically transformed from the inside out as well. Um, And that's also an option. And for people who are looking for that, that's what I'm here for. What kind of support do we need? How much, like, what kind of help do we need Mm. to keep, um, you know, women of color faculty in academia? What do we need? I I know that what you provide in coaching Mm -hmm. is certainly something we need, but what else do we need? Mm -hmm. Um, I guess I'll answer that like this. I'll answer it both ways. Like, I, I, I think what we need is what I provide, but I don't, I don't need to be the only, like, it's not like it's only me. Like I'm not the only source. So I'll answer it kind of from a more broader viewpoint. So one of the things we need is we have to, we need time to deprogram the idea that we don't have anything to bring to the table that like, we're lucky to be here because when you feel that way, you don't, you, you basically you discount all of your all of your ideas everything that bring that like specifically brings you value all the ways that you are unique gets discounted immediately and that right now is the default messaging in academic medicine is like you lucky to be here <laughs> not that we're lucky to have you so that's one thing that we need and that is that is time and care to actually move people out of trainee mindset to move them out of what they what was required to succeed which was to be a chameleon and to be what everybody else wanted you to to be and move them out of that into discovering what they actually want and the career they actually want. The second thing that we need is for, especially for women of color in academic medicine, but anybody who's marginalized is they need the tools on how to optimize their micro environment. So I, 
like change happens at multiple levels. And I will always advocate for institutions to be like torn down and rebuilt and all of that. And that really is important. And also while we're here in these institutions, we need to know how to manage our micro environments. How do we protect our energy around people Mm -hmm. that are, you know, vampires? Like how do we, Mm -hmm. how do we organize our time? How do we set boundaries that aren't like soul sucking? Like literally no matter what environment you're in, how do you come in and create your bubble of self-compassion so that you can thrive there and do what you need to do there. I think the third thing is that um, this is more available. um, And I think the reason people struggle is because it's not integrated into the others, but just like literally pure strategy. So a lot of times people just say, I'm just do, I'm just trying to do this. I'm trying to do, I'm trying to write this grant. I'm trying to write this paper, but they don't have any structure around it. Like they don't have any, like, they don't know how to, um, you know, kind of like, assess power dynamics. They don't know how to lead even while they're learning, right? So they don't know how to like be in charge, even if you're the person who knows the least around the table. So just teaching some of those skills about how you advocate for yourself, get what you need, set your set structures up for yourself, have internal deadlines, just literally like the meat and bones of creating a structure for yourself after you spent, again, over a decade of somebody mm. else giving you structure. So like you just, like this is the first time you've had to create it yourself. And then I think the last thing is um, what we need is always to be, always to teach how to always have like that future vision very much in mind. So a lot of times people plan, we, a lot of times in academics and what faculty are doing and what we do on default is that we're planning to avoid failure. So we're like, I need to do this. And then if this doesn't work, I need to do plan B. Like we're constantly trying to um, have plan A, but then make sure plan B, B, C, and D are like, you know, tight or, or like strong so that just in case plan A fails, they'll be fine. But that literally means that we spend 75% of the time on plan B, C, and D. And so of course plan A is not going to work because you've, you've literally only given it 25% of your energy. So um, we need to learn how instead to kind of set a career vision and set like one year milestones and goals and under, and really learn how to double down on what matters most while, while supporting yourself, right. While having contingency plans. And I don't really think people get taught how to do that, that well either. So, I mean, that is, that is a lot of what I do in my coaching programs, but it, it literally is because it's exactly what I think we need. Like that's how you can survive these places. That's what we need for women of color in academic medicine. Amazing. Fantastic. Can I ask you how people can reach you? Uh, Because I know there are people who really, probably, really want to be part of your group coaching program. Okay. Yes. Tell us how to get a hold of you. Yes. So if one, people can reach me on all the socials at my government name, K-E-M-I-D-O-L-L, on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Um, Definitely can follow me and DM and reach out to me there. Um, my website is kemidole.com, and there is a ton of information about my programs and offerings, and you can sign up for my newsletter through my website and also find the link to my podcast. Awesome. Kemi, thank you so, so much for being here. It has been such a pleasure. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Danielle. Thanks for listening to Self-Compassionate Professor. Find me on LinkedIn at Danielle Delamar, on Twitter and Instagram at Danielle S.C. Prof. 
or schedule a free coaching consult at selfcompassionateprofessor.com. Be well. Be well.